Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. Today, we had Bill Tan on the show, big friend of, of Chi here, and it was good. I mean, I if I were you, I'd, you know, take out some time, pop some popcorn, you know, throw it on, throw it on in the headphones and get to listening because it's a longer episode, but it each and every minute is full of information, stories, guidance, predictions. We had it all. What'd you think, Chi? Yeah, Bill is a really good friend of mine, one of my first teachers in this space. So of course I have a soft spot for him. I thought this episode was actually just very indicative of how all of his classes are. He's a teacher at heart. His wife is a teacher as well. So he just did such a good job of breaking down everything from options to lease options, to subject two, to installment sales, to seller financing, to discounting a note. I mean, literally, it was a little mini class, which if you have taken Bill's classes, they are a full weekend, like eight to 10 <laughs> hours a day for two to three days. So Bill can talk, but none of it is wasted breath. So I would definitely like Ike said, get a notepad out, sit down, get some popcorn out, listen, and literally you will be taking notes of of ideas that you can be employing in the next few years, given the market that's upcoming. So. Without further ado, let's uh, get into it. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Multifamily by the Slice. I'm here with Chi Nguyen. Dre Evans could not make it today, but we're going to have a great show. Nonetheless, just to start off, Chi, how are you doing? I'm good. Uh, as is our normal, uh, we talk about the weather a little bit. <laughs> cloudy, <laughs> so I'm not as good as normal. But good. It's just been a busy, busy week, just moving deals along and kind of getting all the loans boarded that we purchased and then trying to put more bids out there as well. And then getting a couple of my rentals up for lease up this summer. So I timed it perfectly so I can get more higher rents during the summertime. That's the best time to rent up your rentals, guys. If you don't already know, uh, there's a higher demand. So the rent prices are higher. And uh, yeah, that's what I've been up to. How about you, Ike? I've been I've been up to a lot as well. And before I get into it, that's a great pro tip for you guys out there. For the vast majority of the country, the best time to find your next lease is in the summer. But there are areas such as Phoenix, where I primarily invest, where that is the worst time to, <laughs> to find tenants. And you could probably guess why, because it's a million degrees outside. But great, great advice nonetheless. Always time out your leases so you can get the best bang for your buck. In terms of what I'm doing, I am Doing pretty well. I, I'm st I'm still finishing up a, a little construction or renovation project out in Phoenix, and and I was just talking with Chi and Bill here. I was I was on the phone with the broker, uh, looking at a triplex uh, in east or east of Mesa, in a small town called Apache Junction. So that may be something coming down the pike, which would be really fun a new project. Otherwise, you know, just enjoying the sun. Uh, Chi, I don't think anybody would blame you for talking about the weather in San Diego because that's probably one of the reasons why everyone is here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, we're getting into the summer, so it's always a good time. Mm -hmm. Um, but with that said, Chi, I'll let you introduce our guest. Get the show running here. Awesome. Okay. So I am always excited for all of our guests, but I'm especially excited about today's guest because our guest today is Bill Tan. Um, Bill Tan, as many of you probably already know, is super well known for his creative financing and his creative strategies classes and his financial calculator class. When I first got started in note investing and in real estate investing in general, I made sure to take his class 
And he taught me how to use the HBII. And that one little $6 app has made me thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and has really helped me understand how to get a yield on things. Um, so, all right, I'll, I'll get to his bio because it's, all, it's a lot, <laughs> but it's because he's been in the industry for longer than most of us have been alive, at least myself. So um, Bill Tan, the barter man, is a real estate and mortgage investment es- expert with over 30 years of experience. His clients rely on his business insight and industry knowledge to buy and sell properties and identify secured investment opportunities, which generate a substantial monthly income. He specializes in putting the tough real estate and note deals together. His ability to think fast and creatively to develop effective strategies continually amazes clients and students alike. As a former real estate broker and longtime real estate exchanger, Bill is a tra- transactioneer with few equals for real estate and note deals. He's also the managing member of the LA RIA. It's a great meetup, guys. You gotta check it out if you haven't already. And also the former president of the San Diego Creative Investors Association, which is SDCIA. They meet on the second Tuesday every month here in San Diego, which is one of the largest in the country. And the San Diego Cashflow Association, which is an association of cash flow investors. So as you guys can see, he's very involved in the industry and in the community. So Bill continues to be a featured speaker in real estate and mortgage investment industry. He makes presentations for local real estate investment and note groups, conferences, and conventions nationwide, and appears on many podcasts, webinars, radio, and TV programs, and was honored with the 2012 Industry Achievement Award at the Noteworthy National Convention for his contributions to the note industry. Tenacious, consistent, and professional, Bill brings his unparalleled market knowledge together with an extensive network of local, regional, and national contacts. Woof. Okay. That is <laughs> what a mouthful. But put everybody to sleep. <laughs> I, I know. It's impressive. It's impressive. I, I can only hope to have a, a, a resume like that at the end of my real estate career. So, or mid career. You're still a mid career. So, Bill, tell everybody a little bit about maybe how you got started or what you are doing now or what you're passionate about going forward. We'd love to hear more of your story. But you said or, or, and or. I know, but there's so many things I can touch on with you. So you can go any which way with it and we'll, we'll go, go that way with you. Uh, well, I started off in real estate investing a long time ago. I took some get rich seminars <laughs> and I met some really neat people and I learned more by interacting with the neat people than I did from the seminars. And let's see, I invested in the Phoenix area and I learned all about long distance property management, the pitfalls <laughs> of that. And one of the pitfalls I finally got tired of was the fact that I wasn't uh, yeah, doing a very good job of property management. I did not know enough. The tenants always knew more than I did. I hadn't taken a class like David Tilney's property management class, uh, which is the best out there. And so uh, I decided that I was going to sell off most of my properties. And so I sold them off. And in order to do so, I had to become the bank. I had to provide financing. And then all of a sudden I stopped hearing about tenants, toilets, and turnovers. And I thought, yeah, I like this business. And then I was going to real estate clubs and I would tell other people I, what I did. They were having problems in the same area also. And so they sold their property. They carried back notes and then they, they needed some money. So 
I offered to buy their notes from them at a discount. And a few years later, I was absolutely brilliant because they all paid off. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and all these notes <laughs> all paid off and I, I made uh, a fairly good return on that. So I decided to take some note investing and note brokering classes. And I've been doing that ever since in addition to uh, expanding my business by learning that the exchange business, real estate brokers and so forth, they would create a lot of notes and they were looking for a lot of notes. So I used that as a way of, I would acquire notes and I would sell them off to some of those exchangers, or I would put together notes to put together real estate deals and I, I would acquire real estate that way. And I've been doing that ever since. And at one point I decided, you know, I really need to know this stuff better. And the only way to know things better is to start teaching. And so I've been teaching now for over 30 years. Oh my goodness. And also became involved in real estate clubs, such as the San Diego Creative Investors Association, SDCIA. And then I started another one called Elyria. Uh, Elyria is all on Zoom. So on the second Wednesday of every month, so far they're, they're free. That has kept me in the business. I provide a weekly newsletter that also get, keeps me updated on events in the note and real estate industry. Newsletter has been opened up in 43 states and 43 countries. Yeah. Awesome. You're reaching, you have a global reach with that, that newsletter now. Yes. And so that's where we are right now. <laughs> I, I invest in notes. I make loans. I put together real estate deals. That's all about all I do. So, so when you were meeting with wonderful people like Chi, I, I haven't met Ike. I got to see Chi the other night at. That's, that's a cherry on the cake, right? Or a cherry on the, was it the cake or the cupcake? Like I don't know. Ice cream. I don't have one cherry on top. There you go. There yeah, you go. Yeah, cherry on top. Steve, in my case, it's cherry on top of whipped cream. I, I, I'm a, I, li I love whipped cream. <laughs> so, you know, when, when you um, first got into investing in notes, and you mentioned a little bit in your, in your story that you, you basically became a note broker. A note investor because I created the notes to sell the properties that I had in Phoenix area that I didn't want to, I was having the ones that were challenging for me mm -hmm. property mm -hmm. management wise. I sold them. I provided the financing through seller finances, carried okay. the note. And that's initially how I got into the road business. Yeah. And, and, and then the next step uh, in your story, you said you began buying notes from people in your network. And, you know, clubs. and packaging those as well, selling them off. So some, some form of brokerage, you know, sort of leaked into your, oh, no into question your daily about it. I, Yeah. I, I had, I had, my grandmother was my first in, investor in notes and her friends followed there on. And I had this wonderful group of investors that I would buy notes from all over the country. Uh, I was rocking and rolling there for a while. So uh, I'm, I'm and curious. And I got all this gray hair as a result of that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious because I feel like a lot of us in the real estate industry are very familiar with what brokerage looks like on the real estate side, not as familiar in what it looks like on the, on the note side. So if you could give us a little bit of comparison or contrast on, you know, those two different roles in, in this space. Brokering in notes versus brokering in real estate? Exactly. Okay. Brokering in notes is essentially marketing to find sellers of notes and it might be institutions it might be mom and pops 
And so I would market. And then at one point I was working together with a marketing firm. They would do the marketing. I would negotiate, close the deals, and we would split the profits. It was a wonderful, wonderful arrangement. So I would negotiate with the note holders, acquire them. And if we were going to broker them, buy low, sell high. The doing it the other way around doesn't work for it. For, for <laughs> Is yeah. Essentially, it's like wholesaling. That would be more of the apples to apples comparison. Got if it, you're got it. Tangible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where I was going to go. On the real estate side, I would come in. Yeah, if you are in the note business, you will eventually be offered real estate. And I was already doing real estate, but I saw a great deal more real estate just because I was in the note business. They'd say, I know you don't really do this. But we have these properties over here. And I would go, well, shucks, I guess I'll have to look at that. (laughs) And so I became a real estate broker because here in the state of California, in order to broker notes, broker real estate, you need a license. You need to be licensed. Most most, uh, beginners don't realize that. Yeah. Otherwise, and they're called joker brokers by other people in the industry. (laughs) That's, that's, uh, that's a newer term to me. <laughs> there are others out there. And for real estate, I didn't do the traditional buy-sell of residential real estate. I've only worked with investors. I chose that path because I go the path less traveled, so to speak. Everybody else wanted to do residential real estate. I would work with investors because investors would eventually either buy more than one real estate investment or they buy more than one note Mm. and so how did i find them i started teaching i would uh for a while there i was registered with the state to be able to teach continuing education classes for real estate for attorneys for cpas so that they would come i would teach them how to work with me and they would get continuing education credits and so i had to learn how to teach and I found that I really enjoyed it. And I've been doing that ever since. You're the expert, even if you really are truly the expert at the time. Yeah. yeah. I like that about teaching it. It makes you become the expert, really. So you mentioned earlier before we pressed record that your passion is in the creative strategies and creative financing. Can you tell us a little bit, expand a little bit more on that? Why is that? And can you give us an example of what you would consider a creative financing or creative strategy deal? Certainly. My temperament is such that for me, my definition of a very hot place is doing something over and over and over again, doing the same thing repetitious. I am unemployable for that reason. And so my mind is always looking to, how can I acquire this property or do it in a different way that might be better for both these seller and myself? I See that you're multifamily. My favorite technique and strategy for acquiring multifamily is to lease option. Because I don't know if you found this out, but in the multifamily business, I have run into instances where the sellers have not told the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And so I would lease option the properties for one year. So I actually know the actual numbers, if it worked or didn't work. And because it was an option, it was my choice to proceed or not. Yeah, those pro formers are not always uh, 
before before we move on for for the audience that doesn't know can you explain what a lease option is certainly a lease is where you get actual use of the property even if you're not going to stay in the property you get actual use thereof in the property so what i would do is i would lease the apartment building and then i would rent out the individual apartments okay so I was paying one, making one payment to the owner of the property because they still own the property. And then I was collecting rents and I had to do that fairly well. Otherwise I couldn't pay them that guaranteed rent. And then an option is a unilateral agreement where they must sell and I don't have to. So it's my choice. So if the, after I would always do this for one year. Six months to one year. I'm trying, always try for one year, but at least six months. You can at least, for six months, you can. You can really, figure, start figuring stuff out in six months. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can't figure yourself out in six months. A year might not help you either. <laughs> so an option gives you the right, but not you're not. Uh, obligated, yeah. Obligated to uh, conclude the transaction. So Just try there's, you know, try before you buy. Yeah. I guess the next question to ask is what type of property or what, you know, stage of a property's either beautification or a dilapidation is this best for, or what type of owner are you looking for to do a lease option with? Lease options are, are best with a motivated seller, somebody who got their finances wrong, or it might be because of health, their health may have degraded, it might be a turn in the real estate market. Might be increase in interest rates. It might, might be all kinds of things that have caused them discomfort. They're in an uncomfortable position and they want relief. And so whoever it is, if it's an older one, they're probably tired of property management. They want an income, which makes it really wonderful because they've been receiving an income. They're used to receiving an income. So an older property owner is really good prospect for seller financing. They're used to getting a monthly income. They know what the property produces. They know the problems with the property. They know you must make a profit in order to pay them. So those are my most fun, particularly with multifamily deals is with an older owner or someone who owns multiple single family residences. Nice. And Last question on lease options and creative finance, honestly, in general. And the reason I'm, I'm, I want to ask these is because right now seems to be a pretty good time to, you know, try to utilize creative financing strategies. Interest rates have moved, you know, in big waves over the last 12 months and, and who knows what's going to happen in the near future on creative financing. When you, you find a property or, you know, you, you find a opportunity that looks like it would be a fit for creative financing, how, or what's the best way to approach the seller or the seller's broker with your offer? Well, here's the thing. When you're dealing with a broker, broker's first thought is CYA. It's cover their assets. <laughs> okay. They're afraid of lawsuits. So if you come up with a creative strategy for buying something, they're they're going to say no first, and they're going to be the gatekeeper to not let you get to the owner. I've always, it's always worked best for me when I 
up to a broker, I say, look, I'm a former broker. I retired because I don't want to do it all the time anymore. And if you want to get a commission, I will make certain that you're paid. And I will make certain that you are not sued. Okay. Because we will do what's in the best for the client. The client will decide what's best for them. And we will either move forward or shake our hands and move on. And in those cases where we shake our hands and move on, I always circle back after two months, two months to see if the property is still available and if the seller's more motivated or the broker's more, more motivated because they may be losing their listing. So that's dealing with them. Dealing with private individuals, I usually always ask, why are they selling this property? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they say they want to get money. Well, you have to delve deeper than that. If What are they going to use the money to get? There have been many instances, particularly when I was buying single-family houses, where they said, well, I want to sell this because I want to get a new truck. Okay. I would go buy the truck. I would buy the truck on financing. I would rent the property to pay the financing on the truck. Mm. Or you're dealing with investors where most investors really hate more than just most everything else paying taxes to the government. They, they don't think really highly of the government, <laughs> but they'll do with their tax money. So if you learn about taxation and you learn how you can save them taxes, or be able to move it on to their heirs in a tax-deferred or tax-free manner, you really start to get their attention. Mm -hmm. And with something they haven't heard before, you're unique. And that's usually how I get the door in. Because I tell them, you could do this, and this is the taxes that you most likely have to pay, and you can talk to your accountant about it, and they'll find out that I'm not lying to them about it. And I said, or you could do it this way or this way, and you would not have to pay the government and you'd either have more money to go into your next investment or you'd be able to pass it on to your heirs in a tax-free manner. Yeah. So some examples of that would be section 121 of the IRS code, installment sale and seller financing and a 1031 exchange, right? Right. And, and there's another, going back to the use of an option, we just did a deal here locally in San Diego. And one of the choices I gave the owner who didn't want to pay taxes was rather than rent the property from the, I gave them an option. An option consideration is not taxed until I exercise the option. Hmm. I would give them an annual option consideration. And after so many months, I would get ownership to the property and they would be taxed at that point, but we were planning in it so that that point when they would be taxed is when they've already gone to the great real estate investment club in the sky. <laughs> so, so they never had to pay taxes. Yeah. And that's really clever. Either spend the money or they could pass that on to their heirs. Can you give an example of that, but with hard numbers, Bill, sure. for our listeners who might not know what an option consideration is, it's their first time hearing what an option is. Sure. I'll, I'll give you a real good example. The house I live in, I bought it through a lease option. So in other words, I rented it first and I was talking to the owners because when I moved here, I knew I wanted to live in San Diego County. I really didn't know the neighborhood I'm in, which is a pretty darn good neighborhood, which I found out later. 
right? <laughs> After talking to them, her husband, that was a couple, she was a real estate agent. Her husband had just had major surgery, couldn't work. He was a salesman. So as a salesman, you only get paid when you make a sale. Well, he couldn't work. And when I found that out, I said, well, you know, that must provide a tremendous strain upon your finances because, you know, your husband's not bringing in an income and you're a real estate agent and times aren't quite so good right now. So, you know, commissions are few and far between. And she says, oh, yes, it's, it, it's, it's terrible. I said, would it be helpful if you didn't have to worry about your mortgage payment? Oh, that would be a godsend. Well, I worked it out so that my rent here at the time was $1,095 and their mortgage payment was $900. So I was giving them a check every month for $2,000 that covered my rent and it covered their mortgage payment on their new house. In return, I said, I think I want to live in this area. I'm not sure. So I would like this to be considered all of it, the rent and the, the amount I pay for your mortgage to be considered as option consideration should I choose to buy this house in the future. And I would like my option consideration money, $2,000 a month, to be applied to the down payment. And the reason I wanted it applied to the down payment is because that's usually the largest expense whenever you buy a property is the down payment. So I wanted to come out of pocket fewer dollars. And so it took me almost three years to decide. <laughs> so if you figure 2000 times 36, I had a $70,000 down payment, which I had to prove to the mortgage company when we applied for a loan. Because I bought this using traditional financing because I was still working as a deputy probation officer at the time and I could qualify for a loan. And then this so happens that two months after we bought the property, I got the loan, I retired from the retired. <laughs> yeah. I figured. <laughs> Just a coincidence, right? Yeah. And I'm truly grateful. My wife was working. She allowed me to go off on my own. And at the time I was making more money as a note to note investor, note broker, and real estate investor than I was as a probation officer. I thought I was making a difference there. Yeah. It was up in LA. <laughs> so I was commuting once a week up there. Mm -hmm. So I, that's how you use a lease option for a personal benefit. And so I'm, I bought the house for 200 something thousand and I had a 30 something percent down payment. Yeah. I love that. I always forget that you can do that. To me, an option, I guess I'm thinking more so of a pure option, which is when you pay $5,000 for somebody to fix their roof or something, and you say, for the next 20 years, I would like to be able to buy your property for this amount of dollars. But yeah, I got to do the, I got to do the lease option. I really, I really do. I'll, I'll give you another use of an option that I've used before. Okay. I had inroads to a local church. Some of the people came to the church were elderly and they were equity rich and cash poor. They couldn't fix their house. They couldn't pay the property taxes. And so I would step in and I would pay the property taxes. I would fix up the house and I would do that 
for an option to buy the property in the future for an agreed upon price today. And so in many instances, I use my self-directed IRA money to pay the property taxes, to pay for the fix-up of, of the property. And when I foolishly sold those properties in the future, it went into my IRA because those properties are now worth a tremendous amount. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the the biggest regret of every real estate teacher and mentor of mine is so true. Wish I would have held on to more, which is why <laughs> I'm trying to dig in. What does Jack Miller say? Dig your fingernails in and hang Hold on by your fingernails. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I have one more question for you, and I don't know if Ike, if you have another one uh, before we move to the legacy round. But um, you mentioned several different techniques, like sub two lease option, installment sale, ten thirty one exchange. I know you don't have a crystal ball, but I know you've been through several cycles at this point. What if you did have a crystal ball? Number one, what do you think it would be telling you is in store for us the next few years? And given what you think it's telling you is going to be in store for us the next few years, what are some of your favorite creative financing strategies that you think people should start educating themselves on now so they can employ it in the coming years in the market that we're going to be seeing? I don't need a crystal ball. I don't believe I need a crystal ball for that one. I believe that the one technique and strategy that you mentioned subject to, that's buying a property that has an existing loan against it, and I'm going to buy this property subject to that existing loan. I do not want to pay off the existing loan on properties that are coming for sale in the future because almost all of those properties have a mortgage that has an interest rate much lower than what the market is today. And there are properties that will be coming on the market in the next couple of years from people who, for one reason or another, have to sell. It might be that they bought the property last year and their property values have gone down. Now, that hasn't happened here in San Diego yet. It might. I don't know if it will or not. However, those people still have a lower interest rate on their existing mortgage than we could possibly get for ourselves. And so idea of subject to, buying the property subject to, is buying the property. And what the owner gets whenever they sell a property is they get the difference between what they owe on the property, the loans, and the value that we agree upon. That's called their equity. And I will give them their equity in some way, shape, or fashion. It might be partly cash. It might be partly as them providing the financing to me. I prefer them providing the financing to me. And um, I, I see that's definitely coming. I have something else I see that is definitely coming or commercial properties are coming available. Multifamily. Why? Because multifamily properties who refinance when the interest rates were lower are going to have their loans reset and the interest rate is going to go higher. The multifamily owners who bought the property thinking that they were going to be able to continue to have low payments from low interest loans are in for a root shock, not going to be able to hold on to their properties. And it's happening all over the place. Additionally, we have the work from home transition. Thanks to the, the pandemic, a lot of 
office buildings, particularly the large ones downtown, empty. I, I haven't followed up in San Diego, office buildings. But commercial buildings are, the values determined by the rent they provide, and if they're 50% empty, there's room for negotiation for these companies uh, whose loans get their five-year loan where they uh, have to pay off the existing loan or accept a higher interest rate. They're not going to be able to do it. Now is a really good time to find financial friends who will come in with you. You can find and put together the deals that can provide the financing or the dollars to do so and buy these office buildings if you know how to solve that problem. I, I think in some of the uh, properties that I'm seeing here in San Diego, they would be really good for commercial underneath and residential up above. It will require some fixing up of these properties, but you would then have the owners of the property above their shops. Mm -hmm. Mixed use. Mixed use. I think that's another opportunity, not only here, but everywhere in Southern California. Yeah. Yeah. Oh,